Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Oh, hallelujah. Well, after this morning, it's like just jump back in and then carry on. Um, but God is so amazing. Welcome, everybody. Some of you who weren't here this morning, I can see you coming along. So welcome, welcome. Um, just quickly, so we have got a stool downstairs. So everything that I'm sharing, um, I've put into a book so you can grab a copy downstairs. Um, this book has been around the world and we've had such amazing testimonies come back from people that not only have bought it and read it for themselves, but people that have gifted it. So with, um, we're quite creative with evangelism. So you find us on the streets. We like to be quite creative with um, videos, you know, out on social media. There's so many things we can do these days. And with books, so people have gifted this. So even if you don't buy it for yourself, if you're a bit nervous about sharing your faith with somebody, grab this book and you can give it to somebody as a gift. Because I've had numerous stories of people that have bought this one a woman bought this for her niece who was backslidden. She got a hold of this book. She was given it for Christmas and she rededicated her life to the Lord. There's another woman who owns a hotel. She bought a couple of these and um, she's really spirit led. So when people come to a hotel, if she feels to give them a copy, she'll give them one. And um, this girl came to her hotel and she was really broken. She could see that she was in despair and she gave her a copy of the book. She placed it on her bed And she said, have a read of this. The next day, the woman came up to her in tears, just floods of tears, just saying, this is me. She really related with my story. She gave her life to the Lord. She got baptized and is now serving in a church. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. So, you know, just to encourage you, you know, it doesn't matter what way you've come in here today. You know, even some of you this week, the challenges that you've been facing, the things that have been against you, the, 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 like a cloud of oppression that you feel like there's some like depression that's trying to come on you. I want to say that today is a day that that will be broken. Anxiety has to go as born again, spirit filled believers. I declare that none of that should have authority in any of our lives. You know, we go through through things as Christians. It's not all, you know, hunky-dory, but with Jesus on our side, we'll never fail. You know, I I love that song we were singing, you know, um, you never fail me, you never fail me yet. I just don't like that yet, if I have to be honest with you. I can never say he's never failed me yet, because it's almost as if we're saying he's going to fail us. I can never say that. I always just say he's never failed me. He's never gonna fail me. Because he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. People come and go. Our parents will let us down. Our loved ones will let us down. But Jesus will never, ever let us down. Hallelujah. So hands up if you've never heard my story before. Give me a love it. That's good. I like it when there's people that haven't heard it before. Um, So what I really want to share with you today is my story. And just what I feel the Lord's laid on my heart is just to really kind of delve deep into the Father's heart for us. You know how much God loves us, but how much our daddy God loves us. You see, I wasn't given the best start in life. You hear of some people, they've been born into pastors, families, and their lineage of revivalists and apostles and prophets. I'm not one of those. I don't know any of my history that would have any kind of Christian history at all. Maybe once upon a time. But my dad left before I was born, so I never knew my dad. My dad's Polish, my mum's Indian, so I'm half Indian and half Polish. And in those days, you know, nearly 20-something years ago, it was very uncommon. We're not as multiracial as what we we weren't as what we are now. So being like mixed race growing up, I didn't really feel like I could relate to many people. I felt like the odd one out. When my dad left, my, that put my mum into depression. So you can imagine a young woman having a baby, having a man by her side. He leaves her before she's about to have a baby. And then after she's given birth to the baby, it paves the way for depression. 
So my mum was quite heavily depressed for as long as I can remember growing up. Um, five, six years old, I started knowing that, like, I didn't feel that love from my mum. My mum didn't really know how to give me that affection. It wasn't that she didn't love me. She just didn't know how to give me that love. You see, I felt rejected. I was thinking that maybe my dad was going to come back for me, but my dad didn't come back. So then that paved a way for that hole in my heart. And you see, I was carrying that hole, but God designed us, and through the fall, that hole arrived. And that hole, that void in our hearts, was only ever intended to be fulfilled by God. You see, our generation, our young people, they're out there trying to fulfill those things with sex, drugs, entertainment, you name it, busyness, the latest clothes, social media. They're trying to feed them and trying to find a way out for this. But even in new age, you know, yoga and this, this peace that they think they can find. But there's only one route to peace, and it's the Prince of Peace. It's Jesus Christ. And I didn't know that. Growing up, I just felt different. I, you know, I didn't feel that love from my mum. I was waiting for my dad to come back. And whilst I was growing up, my mum used to meddle in a lot of that kind of um, new age thing. So she, they, when her friends would come round, they'd read horoscopes and they'd do tarot cards, you know, make these like spells to like make my dad come back. So they used to read these books of like things you could do if there was certain lucks and charms. And I started looking into those things as well because I, I had a sense of knowing of God. I used to cry myself to sleep when I was a child, crying out for my dad. So from the age of about eight, nine years old, I was really seeking just for that kind of higher being. And um, I was the responsible adult in my home because my mum was heavily depressed most days. The curtains would be closed. She'd be sleeping most of the day. I'd have to take myself to school, bring myself back, do cooking, go and do the groceries, bring them back on my own. They used to like hurt my poor little hands. Um, but I did what I had to do. I was an only child, so I had to keep myself occupied. Didn't really engage much with any people out of school. It was school and home. And then as this yearning for a father came into my heart, I was really wanting a dad, and it had only ever been me and my mum. And come 10 years old, my mum met somebody who was supposed to be my dad, and I'm thinking, great, this is it. I'm going to have a dad. I'm going to have a family, and my life is about to get better. But this man that my mum met wasn't a great man at all. He was an alcoholic. He was um, a violent, abusive person. He used to swear, shout, get drunk. And um, this whole facade of what I had put my hope into of having a dad was really shattered. So my young heart had already been broken by not, never having a father. And then to having somebody who was supposed to be my father, again, it was like a double whammy. And my mom didn't really know how to look after me. So when things were getting quite bad with him, because he was a drunk, he used to talk to me in ways that you shouldn't speak to a young person. I wasn't his biological daughter. I used to feel really uncomfortable around him. He would comment on the way that my body was developing. And I was trying to tell my mom, mom, I don't feel comfortable with this man. You know, I don't really like being around him. And I would tell her things that he was saying. And my mom, she's quite a small, timid little woman. She doesn't know her worth. And she just kind of was like, oh, don't worry about it. And so there's me as a young person crying out for help. And I'm just being told, don't worry about it. So um, after a couple of years, about 11, 12, I start mixing with the older kids, anything I can do to run away from home because I didn't want to be at home. At home, it was shouting, swearing, and I'd never been accustomed to that. It was me and my mum in our quiet home. So when my safe place of being at home no longer was my safe place, I had to go outside. So I started hanging around with older kids, and then, you know, what happens? You start smoking, start drinking, start doing all the wrong things that we would do as teenagers, and then I started... Um, meddling with um, drugs and from there it became a form of self-harm so whenever things would get really bad at home because sometimes me and my stepdad would argue so much if he was um, arguing at my mum or speaking to her disrespectfully I would get up in the middle of them because she couldn't defend herself and then it started coming towards me so sometimes I'd run into my room and I'd get so angry and frustrated and to try and let out the anger, I started taking like um, tablets just to kind of like just be angry with myself as a form of self-harm. And then shortly after my 13th birthday, I started feeling less and less engaged at home and I was out on the streets more often. By this point, I was truanting off school. So I was in year eight at this point. Um, so we're going into March. So you would have started year eight in September. From September till March, I probably had been in school between 10 to 20 times. Now, out of that amount of months is very, very poor. And um, most of the days I'd just be hanging on the streets with the older kids. 
And so whenever me and my stepdad would argue, I used to do this um, prescription abuse. And it got to the point now, as I just turned 13 years old, of having had this stepfather for about three years, things were just getting worse and worse for me. I was crying out for help. So it came to the point where I actually started hearing these voices. I can't say I heard audible voices, but these thoughts started coming to me that actually my life wasn't worth living and that if I wasn't to be around anymore, the world would still go on. And then then paved the way for me to start thinking about committing suicide. So I had already started taking tablets when I was getting a bit angry, but then this actually grew more and more and more. Until one day in April of 2005, I decided that enough was enough. It was a point where my mom had actually kind of reached out to me to say, you know, Tanya, what's going on? You know, you're not at home, but you're not going to school. Like, you know, what are you? And after all of those years of trying to tell my mom that I wasn't happy, I didn't feel comfortable. Now she was reaching out to me, but it was too late for me. It almost made me laugh. I felt angry that I'm about to kill myself and now you're reaching out to me. Now you want to tell me that you care. So I I got really angry with her. I kind of just cut her off. I went into my bedroom and I just found as many tablets as I could take. And um, there I put some music on really loudly in my room to uh, to drive out my cries and my screams. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I hated what I saw. I hated myself. I hated the fact that I was alive. I didn't believe that I was loved, that I was beautiful, nothing. And in that moment of taking these tablets, swallowing it and hating what I saw, nobody was there to tell me, Tanya, stop. What are you doing? You're worth more than this. I took the overdose and I went outside to try and go for a walk. And by the time I'd already left the house, I could feel as if the earth was spinning on its axis and I was really losing consciousness. Thank God in that point, my mum had come out of the house to find me. She grabs me by my elbow, escorts me back in, and I'm literally like not even with it. If she hadn't grabbed me at that point, I probably could have collapsed on the floor there and then. She takes me back into the house, and I just remember saying, I just want to go to sleep. Like literally, it's like you're really tired, and somebody's like trying to get you out of bed, and you're just like, no, I just want to go back to sleep. So I'm saying to her, I want to go to sleep. I want to go to sleep and I'm losing consciousness. My eyes just getting smaller and smaller. As we get into the front room, I just about slump onto the sofa and I remember just saying, I just want to go to sleep. And that was it. That's all I could remember of April 2005. And what would happen next is um, my mum would actually put me to sleep. Now, most people know, and I hope everybody here would know, that in that type of situation, you don't let that person go to sleep. You'd call an ambulance. You would call for an emergency. But my mum put me to sleep, and then throughout the night, they were checking on me to make sure I was breathing. So I was breathing just about. When they tried to wake me up at 7 o'clock the next morning to go to sleep, I was frothing at the, uh, the mouth. I had loads of foam in my mouth. So I was breathing, but I was only making noises. My eyes were slightly open, but they were rolled backwards. So my teachers had called in this morning to say, you know, what's going on? Tanya needs to come to school. And my mum's saying, oh, well, we're trying to wake her up, but she's not waking up. And my teacher's saying, but why? She's saying, oh, well, she took an overdose. And he said, well, you need to call for an ambulance. So long story short, in those days, we had um, NHS Direct, which was like 0845 something, something, something. So the modern day kind of triple one. And so instead of calling 999, my mum called NHS Direct. So they get taken through the whole analysis of what's going on. So imagine all of these. This is about 12 hours now that I haven't had any medical care. And once they find out the severity of the situation, the operator said, right, you need to stay there. Stay with her. I'm calling for an ambulance. So literally within three to four minutes, you could hear sirens wailing, the, the blue lights flashing through the windows. We live in a quiet street. And the, the street is shut off. About um, two ambulances come, surrounded by four police cars. They cordon off the house. They rush in. They come to me. They, the paramedics literally look at each other, and they say, there's nothing we can do. We've got to get her out of here. So the police start their forensics, start looking at, you know, all the kind of... They shut off as a crime scene. So they're going through my diary. They're trying to see what's going on, what's happened here. 
and I'm rushed to hospital. As I'm rushed to hospital, it's literally make or break. Like there is, it's very small things that could actually happen to me to help me right now. As I'm in the um, ambulance, I begin fitting on the bed. So I'm literally lying there, but my body is like convulsing. Because of the medication I'd taken, it began to have a toxic reaction in my body. So I'm having a seizure because of this stuff that's happening to me. And ultimately I'm dying. I'm about 60 seconds away from the hospital. The paramedics had to stop the ambulance on the side of a road, rush to the back to try and help me. They message into the hospital that I'm en route to to say, this girl, she's fitting, like, we don't know if she's going to make it. And they said, you just need to bring her here straight away. They get me into the hospital and they stretch me out. They put me into A&E and then straight away they start pumping me. They're putting the electrodes on me. They're trying to zap me back. They're putting tubes down my throat. It's literally like a rush, rush situation. From that point, they were saying, we're not able to deal with her here. We're going to have to airlift her to a central London intensive care unit. So imagine this, I've gone all of these hours without medical help. And then now I've still got to be transferred to another hospital. My survival rate is really, really small right now. I'm I'm taken to the top of the hospital. I'm then airlifted in a helicopter to the intensive care unit where now I'm on round-the-clock care by intensive care specialized um, staff where I'm in a coma for three days on a life support machine. My family of what I have, they kind of all come together, which I'll, I'll mention that most of my family, I don't know them properly. So these are kind of families I've known in bits and drabs throughout my life. Um, but now all of a sudden, everyone's kind of coming together for this um, emergency. So they're all coming over to the hospital. Then um, they're in a waiting room. And then the special specialists come in and they ask them to sit into this room. And they sit them down. And they tell my family, my mom, they're saying, ultimately, we're really sorry, but you're going to have to prepare for the worst. Um, Tanya isn't, we don't think that Tanya's going to make it because of the severity of the time in which it took for her to get medical attention. There's a lack of oxygen that would have gone to her brain and there's a possibility that she could be brain damaged. If, and if, this, I say this with a small if, they had to really reiterate to them because they didn't want to get their hopes up. If she was to survive, and we're going to say it's a small if, if she did survive, there's a possibility that she could be in a vegetative state that she'll be brain damaged. She'll um, have liver problems, kidney problems, and she'll need round-the-clock care. She won't be the Tanya that you once knew. We need to prepare you for that. And they said, we're looking to turn the machines off soon. So my family are preparing for the worst, thinking that I'm about to die, they're going to turn these um, life support machines off, and I'm going to be gone. But this is where God had a plan and a purpose for my life. You see, the fact that I can stand here before you today, because my name, my, I should be on a tombstone right now. I, I shouldn't be standing here before you. But the grace of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's, it's amazing. You know, God has a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. And that's why I don't believe that any one of you are here by accident today. We had a morning service, we had a second service, but I know that each and every one of you that are in this place right now, God has ordained that you will hear this message today, that there will be a hope that will be sparked on the inside of you because you're not just a normal Christian. You're not called to just live the Christian life Monday through to Sunday. You know, we're supernatural beings. When we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, we didn't just become human beings. We transformed from human beings into supernatural beings where we're now engaged with God the Father through the heavenly realms. And in that spirit realm, you are now a powerful human being. So I survived that coma. I woke up and you can read more in the story. I can't go into all of it in depth. I wake up and I'm barely making these lights out. But what happened is obviously my mum neglected me. She didn't call for an ambulance when she was meant to. She, she, she did what she thought was right but was wrong. And um, obviously because of neglect, social services had to get involved. And um, I spent about two weeks in hospital recovering. And I was under careful um, watch of mental health staff who thought obviously I had mental health problems. Because anyone that wants to try and kill themselves has mental health problems. That's not always the case. 
They'd say that, but really I was crying out for help. I was looking for a way out. And many people that try and commit suicide are crying out for help. They're wanting to end their pain. But suicide is a, is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It's, it's, it's temporal. Whatever you're going through, even whatever situation, whatever circumstance you've been going through this week, this year, or something that's happened to you, it's only really temporary. Because in the light of eternity, in the light of where we're going to be standing for all of eternity, it doesn't matter what's formed against us, it will not prosper. Because nothing can take us out. Because we're still standing. We still have breath in our lungs. We're still here to tell the story. I'm here to share my story. And so are you. I got taken into foster care, and my foster carers were Christians. Now, I don't know if there's any Christians in here that foster, but it's always worth checking with the Lord if that's something that you should do. Because, again, we're all about creative evangelism. In any way that we can, we want to share the gospel. If it's through our Facebook, if it's with our neighbors, if it's on the streets, if it's through books, if it's through opening your home to somebody, if it's loving a stranger, you know, reaching out for the one. There's so many ways that we can win this world for Jesus Christ. So I got taken in by these Christian carers, and I was actually meant to go to a mental health hospital. I was only meant to stay with them for a few weeks, and then I'd be going on to a mental health hospital. I went to this mental health hospital, and I really didn't belong there. I didn't want to be there. The kids there had scars around their necks from where they had tried to commit suicide, but it didn't work. So then they tried again, like the guy you met with yesterday. They had um, scars on their arms, and I was just sitting there. And these kids were um, medicated as well, so they weren't really all with it. And I was just thinking, Lord, this is like, well, I didn't say Lord at the time, but I was just saying to myself, like, this isn't me. I'm not crazy. And with my mom, if my mom, if I was in my mom's care, my mom would have said, they say you're crazy. You have to go. My mom didn't know her worth. She never empowered me to know my worth to have a decision. So if they were to say to my mom, she has to go, I would have gone. The social services said I had to go into foster care. She gave me away to foster care. But I'm here now in a new family with Christian foster carers. And my foster mom said to me, Tanya, I don't believe that you're crazy. So if you don't want to go to that mental health hospital, you don't have to. And for once in my life, for 13 years of living, somebody had just spoken a tad bit of life into me to say, Tanya, you have a choice. Your choice matters. And this was the beginning of a transition that would happen in my life. But the next thing that would happen is a conversation that would change my life for all of eternity. After I came back from the mental health hospital, my foster mum called me downstairs and we're sitting in the living room. And she said, Tanya, I want to have a chat with you. I'm sitting with her and she said, Tanya, I want to know, why did you do what you did? Why did you try to commit suicide? And I didn't have an answer. And in all fairness, I didn't really want to share much with her. I didn't know her that way. But she sat me down and she spoke to me in so much love, but she told me really firmly and she told me a truth that would change my life for all of eternity. And I don't say that changed my life, changed my life for all of eternity because this life is not the end. She said, Tanya, your life is not your life to take. Your life belongs to God. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And he knows your name from the moment that you were conceived. And she was saying how Jesus died on the cross for me. She said that, Tanya, if you would have died, you would have gone to hell because you didn't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I was really like, wow. That didn't occur to me. And the next thing she said to me is she said, Tanya, God is the father that you've never had. And I'd never heard anything like that before. My whole 13 years at that point had been crying out for my daddy. My dad's Polish. I thought he was a Polish prince in Poland. He's going to come for me one day. So that was something I'd always held on to in my heart. And now here is a woman telling me that God is my father. He's the father that I've never had. He's the father that will never leave me nor forsake me. He's the dad that loves me no matter what happens. And that sparked a hope on the inside of me. I began going to church with them. And after a couple of months, I was in a church service like this. Somebody came. They shared their story, a really powerful story of how Jesus had transformed this person's life. And then I was looking, thinking, my gosh, God isn't just changing my life. Because for me, I tried to commit suicide, and I knew that I could have died. So I knew that I'd been given a new start. Our church was called New Life, and I genuinely knew that I had been given a new life. I'd been given a new start. I'd been given a new family. And from that point, he um, did the altar call. And he said, if there's anyone here, you want to give your life to Jesus. Before I knew it, I'm standing up. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't even know how I'm standing up. I believe it was the Holy Spirit. And at that point, I, I said the sinner's prayer. And I said, Jesus, if you're real, I want you to reveal yourself to me. 
and he did. And I'm not going to say it was easy, it wasn't, you know, I've had my ups and downs. You see, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 13. So from 13 to 19, I went through a lot of stuff. I left foster care when I was 16, I ran away. I didn't know what it was to have a family. I couldn't comprehend this love that this family was trying to show me. I didn't allow them to love me because I'd never known love. All I was ever accustomed to was people coming and going or people not showing too much love. That's, that was my story. So for this family to take me in and say I'm part of their family was really hard for me. I loved them. They were so good to me. They led me to the Lord. But I had issues on the inside of me. You see, I was orphaned in the spirit. I gave my life to Jesus and it was amazing. I was so passionate, but I didn't know who I was. I didn't know that I was a loved daughter of the king, that he's Abba Father. And I I called him my dad, but that hardness on the inside of me, the things I had been through, I hadn't allowed him to break in to me and become that father to me. So after living all those years as a teenager, not really living for God, there came a point when I wanted to just give up this double standard of living, you know, one foot in the church, one foot in the world, living like life with my friends, but then trying to be with church friends, you know, smoking, drinking, doing all that type of stuff that I shouldn't be doing because I knew that God had a plan and a purpose for my life. And there was a point when I just got on my knees and I just said, God, I know that you didn't save me to just be a drug addict. You didn't just save me for me to just carry on being in the world. I know that you've got a bigger plan and a purpose for my life. And Lord, I want to give you back my life. But if I'm going to do it, I want to do this properly this time. If I'm going to do it, I want to change the world. I want to share my story. I want to see other people get set free. And so at 19 years old, I gave my life back to the Lord and I went crawling back to church and I asked Jesus to forgive me. And from that point began a journey where I really got hungry for God. And like what Daniel was saying this morning, there has to be a point when we have that kind of moment when we, we give our lives to the Lord. And if you can go plain sailing from there, that's fantastic. But some of us, we give our lives to the Lord and then we get to a certain bit of complacency when we're just used to church and it's the normal. And like what we were saying, I love how honest we're being that we get really comfortable, that we're not even really soul focused. We're just thinking about ourselves. And that's what I was doing. I was kind of going through the motions of church. You have your reserved seat every Sunday. If anyone sits in that seat, I'm looking at you. You've got to move. You know, and it's like, I was like, God, there has to be more to church than this. I don't want to just be coming to church and going and doing my life during the week when I'm really struggling. You know, it's like I had these things on the inside of me that I'm meant to be all holy on the outside. But on the inside, it was like I'm still, there's still like grossness on the inside of me. There's still unforgiveness. There's bitterness. There's jealousy. Lord, you have to do something with me. So I began opening my Bible. I was reading the book of Acts and it was like looking at the early church and I'm thinking, God, you need to do something like this in my life. So during this phase of my life, I felt the Lord tell me to um, go on a Daniel fast. So I'd started Bible school and I went on a Daniel fast and um, I was like, Lord, what is it that you want me to go on a fast for? And he said, just, just go on a fast. And then after about two weeks um, consecutively, he'd wake me up every kind of Sunday and say, pray for your husband. And I was only about 19, 20 at this point, And I'm saying, husband? What husband? And the Lord said, just pray. So I had this prayer. I was like, okay, Lord, wherever he is, I just pray that, you know, we'll meet in your perfect timing. You know, wherever he is, keep him safe. Help me to wait for him as he waits for me. And this happened consecutively for about two weeks. And then the following year, I'm still on fire for God. I'm just still crying out for him. And um, in the midst of all of that, though, it's, it's being obedient, remaining faithful to what God's called you to do, but holding on to the promises that he's given you. And when I came back to the Lord, I said, God, I just want a family. Give me a husband and a daughter and a home, like just something little, like literally. I'll be fine. Just that's all I want. I never had a family of my own. I just want someone to love and just to have my own family. God goes over and above. And so the following year, I had a dream. Now, this is going to sound really spooky to some of you, but this is true. Um, we call it supernatural. I had a dream, but it was like a vision. It was so real to me. And in my dream, I was outside of my church and it was a massive bus. And the Lord spoke to me, he took my hand, he took me on this bus, and he said, your husband is an evangelist. 
He's already in ministry. You're going to come alongside him and you're going to support him. You're going to travel the world and preach the gospel. And as I walk to the back of this bus, he's sitting like I'm near the window corner, but he's sitting there. As I sat next to him, he put his head on my lap with his Bible and he came there to rest. And I knew that I was going to be a really big support to this person for the work that they were going to do. And I was saying to the Lord in the midst of that, is this my husband? We kind of had a back and forth. And then I knew he was saying, this is my husband. And then I woke up the next day and I'm like telling my friends, I'm like, I'm, I saw I'm getting married. I'm going to have a husband and everything. And I was really excited. And then literally two months later, um, I go on another, what type of fast? A Daniel fast. So ironically, he's called Daniel. So if you want to go on a Daniel fast, there's a possibility your husband might end up being called Daniel. <laughs> Just saying. So. I'm on a Daniel fast and I felt the Lord's, because I was in a place where I was like, God, wherever you want me to go, I'm just so hungry. I want to be wherever you want me to be. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I felt the Lord kind of release me to go to this conference. And um, I take my friend. Now, I'm the one praying for a husband, okay? My friend is a virgin, said she never wants to get married, okay? But then she turns around and says to me whilst we're driving there, oh, this guy's um, like talking to me and he thinks I'm his wife. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And I'm the one that's praying for a husband, and she didn't really want one. So I'm like, Lord, this isn't fair. She doesn't want a husband. She's getting one. I want one, but I don't have one. And But I'm, I'm on a Daniel fast. So again, it was this thing. Like, once we kind of went in the church, I'm thinking, like, Lord, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm supposed to be holy, but I'm jealous. There's stuff still on the inside of me. So I, we went into the church and then I was like, like, I've got to go back to, I forgot my Bible. So I went back into my car and I was just praying and I was just crying out to God and I was saying, God, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm supposed to be really consecrated through this fast and all this stuff's happening. And I just pray, I know, Lord, I know you've got a husband for me. He's out there somewhere and your perfect timing will meet. And I prayed and amen, went into the church and the, the enemy was just beating me up, if I'm honest. He was just having it with me. Like, I was in worship, like, praying, worshipping, but I wasn't. I was having this big argument with God, but I looked really holy, like this. And Daniel's standing in front of me, my husband, and he feels the Holy Spirit say, look behind you. So he looks behind him, and he thinks, wow, she's so passionate. <laughs> But I'm having this argument with God, just saying, God, take this away from me. I can't take it. I'm such a horrible person and la-di-da-da-da. But nonetheless, you know, you, the things that we go through, honestly, sometimes when you feel like the burden you're carrying is just too much, sometimes you don't realize you're on the brink of your breakthrough. You don't know what's on the other side. If you will just maintain, stand strong, stand strong. Anyway, so obviously after that, we, we started talking and um, we, you know, spoke a bit. And now we're married. And now we're trying. Yeah, yeah, just like that. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but now we're traveling the world and we're seeing lives transformed. You know, we've given our lives, like, everything. We gave up careers. We've given up work to literally just to spread the gospel. And we've traveled across the nations. And my foster mom, one thing that she actually said to me when we had that conversation that night, is she said, Tanya, you didn't come to this house by accident. She said it was God's very plan that you came here because you're going to travel the world and share your story with other people and you're going to help set other people free. And now to this day, over a quarter of a million of people have heard my story and I've traveled to many nations sharing this story. So I want to encourage you for Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. He gives you hope for your future. And if I can stand here today to testify to you that whatever it is on the inside of you that God has sparked, he's given you hope for something. Hold on to it. You are a world changer. You were not born by accident. You don't live in this area by accident. You weren't born on the day that you were born by accident. God has a mighty plan and a purpose for your life. It's up to you. 
It's up to you if you want to hold on to that and believe it. Because that's all I had. I've been suicidal. I've been to the point where I haven't wanted to live. But then the moment that I was told about this Jesus and that he has a plan for my life, that's all I had to hold on to. I didn't have a mommy and a daddy to kind of love me through it. I had no one. There was points in my life when I was living in a hostel and I didn't have no money, no food, but I'd held on to that promise even in the midst of my pain. And I want to encourage you because I'm speaking to somebody here today, even if it's one of you, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and he wants to use you to change this world. He wants to use you to change your world. Hallelujah. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. He took me off of my life support machine and some of you are on your life support machine today. Some of you have been going through something when you're feeling like, I, I want to give up. I want to turn this switch off. But I've come here today to tell you that the Lord is saying, no, I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, we love that scripture, it's a promise, it's a popular promise, but we want to share today, to read it in context, that if you go on to verse 12 and 13, should we go there? If you've got your Bibles with you, if there's someone next to you who doesn't have their Bible, just share it with them so they can have a look at this. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope, to give you a future and a hope. Now let's go into verse 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me. And go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with a little bit of your heart. No. When you search for me through Facebook. No. You will seek me and find me. And when you search for me with all of your heart. Say all of my heart. We've got to seek him with all of our heart. We've got to come into a place where nothing else will satisfy. We've got to come into a place where it's like, Lord, I want to be used by you. I don't want to just be a Christian. I want to be used by you. I want you to do something with my life that will make me stand out from the rest. It's like people in their families want to be the first person to go to university. But I'm telling you today, why don't we say that we want to be the first person in our lives that will help win a nation to Christ? Why don't we say that we want to be a people that will be soul winners, that I want to be a person that can help transform one life. I, I, I listen to so many testimonies. I love testimonies. I think testimonies are so powerful. It says they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Don't ever despise your story of what you've come from. Some of you think, oh, my story is not that great. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You once upon a time had no hope, you had no future, your life was mundane and now you have a reason to dance. You have a reason why you come to your church every Sunday and why you clap your hands and you raise your hands because there's a Jesus that died on a cross for you 2,000 years ago. He defeated death, he rose from the grave and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father and we know where we're going to spend eternity. Amen? Don't ever think that you don't have a story. You share that with somebody. You spark hope in that person. That's, there's, there's people around us. They just need a little spark to just set them ablaze. Because we're living in a hopeless generation. But we are the light. God has called us to be the light of the world. That we will be a beacon for him. That we will seek him. And when we seek for him with all of our heart, then we shall find him. You see, some of us, we've really got to get hungry for God. We've got to be in a place where it's not going to be overnight, but we've got to live a life of hunger, a life where we say, Lord, I know there has to be more to life than this. I know that there has to be more to my Christian walk than this. We're on the brink of the biggest move that this nation has ever seen. And we don't want to be bystanders just watching it go on. We want to be partakers. We're ambassadors for Christ. We want to be a part of it. And we want to say, 
say, Lord, I'm here. Like Saul, the moment that um, Paul, um, well, the moment Paul, Saul got turned into Paul, he said, here I am. What do you, will you do with me? We need a cry in our heart where we're saying, Lord, have your way in my life. What will you do with me? We want to fit God into our lives of our situation of, yeah, I could fit you in and this much. But it's no, let's, let's lay everything down where he's number one, where he's our focus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The situation some of you are going through and it's a situation of you just got to keep on seeking first the kingdom of God. And all his righteousness will be added unto you. You're going through stuff, but you just got to keep on going. You got to keep your eyes looking forward. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't look at what your friend's doing, how successful they've become, but you're still over here. God is saying, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We can't compare ourselves to one another. We live in this generation of comparing ourselves because so-and-so is doing this already. They've got married already. They're having kids already. His ministry is this way already. God has a purpose for each and every one of you. And we can all change the world one soul at a time. If everyone was to do what they were called to do. Billy Graham, a powerful, powerful man of God. I've heard a lot of testimonies of people and they've been portrayed into movies, and I love them. And so many of these stories I see is often through Billy Graham. I don't know if any of you have seen a movie called Unbroken, directed by Angelina Jolie. Um, some of you have. I would encourage some of you who haven't to watch it. It's a really powerful testimony. It will really, really bless even those that don't know the Lord about how a man, he was, you know, brutally beaten. He did the Olympics just before the Second World War. And then he um, got um, taken out to the army because um, of the Japanese-American War. And he got stranded at sea, but then he got um, taken in by the Japanese. And he there was a war prisoner for many years, brutally tortured. You know, he's mentally scarred, you know, traumatic stress disorder after that. And um, But when he came back to America, he got taken to a, a Billy Graham crusade. And there he gave his life to the Lord. And then now he's got this amazing testimony that he shares. He was able to go back to his country, um, to Japan, to forgive his, um, the people who um, tortured him and beat him in his prison. And they too gave their lives to the Lord. So I want to encourage you guys that all of you have something on the inside of you. And it may take a, a while for you to do some heart searching. And you see, the thing is, I didn't know God as my father. And that was a big hindrance and a big blockage in my life. And today I really want to pray over some of you that some of you have not really encountered him as daddy. Some of you have may not known him as your father because of something your earthly father's done. Or maybe something that your earthly father hasn't done because you didn't have one. Or maybe you had a great earthly father. But God is the greatest father that you could ever have. So I want to ask you guys to just close your eyes right now. If you could jump on the keys when you're ready. You see, if God could take me off a life support machine when I was suicidal to give me life, he can do it for you. If he can take me from abandonment issues and to be adopted by him, he can do it for you. I didn't have my earthly father, but he's given me my heavenly father. I didn't have an earthly family, but he's given me my heavenly family. If he can heal me of my emotional wounds, he can do the same for you. Psalm 27 and verse 10 says, For when my, your mother and your father forsake you, the Lord will adopt you. I tried to look that up in all the translations that I could to get a greater understanding of that. And I simply couldn't. Because it says the truth that when your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will adopt you. You can't translate that any differently or make it any more clearer. He will adopt you. John 15 verse 16 says, You didn't choose me. I chose you. God says, You were my idea. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. I knitted you together so perfectly to make you the person that you are. You weren't an accident. You see, God created us perfect in the beginning. 
the perfect relationship, Adam and Eve in the garden, the, the, the great example of relationship, what our God is all about, the God of relationship, the God of restoration. It was perfect. He made Eve and in that he said it's perfect. There was nothing else that he needed, it's relationship. But then the enemy, oh that evil enemy came in to try and take them away, to take their eyes off of who they were and said, did God really say? Like the enemy's been trying to say to some of you recently, has God got a plan for your life? Is God going to restore that back to you? Is God really going to do that in your life? Is he going to heal you? Is this anxiety ever going to leave you? Is that depression ever going to lift off of you? They chose to believe those lies and those, they questioned, who are they? And that then led to the fall of man. And that was the end for the world is what we knew it. But God in his mercy sent his one and only begotten son, the son that he loved so much to take on flesh, to become like us. For he who knew no sin became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came to this world and he became like us. He came amongst us, he dwelled amongst us and he showed us the way to the Father. There's no way to heaven but through Jesus. The whole human race, we were doomed. We were doomed for all of eternity. Gone. But God. But God loved us so much that he sent his son that he would lay down his life for his brothers, for his sisters, his sons and his daughters, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to tell some of you today, whatever you've been going through, is nothing compared to the scope of eternity. If I can just give you hope today, is that whatever you've been facing, it's not forever. Oh, but for a moment. Because Jesus comes into the situation. And when Jesus comes into the situation, he says, it is finished. No more depression. No more cancer. No more sickness. No more anxiety. No more lies. No more abandonment. Put it on me. Put it on me. I'll take it. I'll take it for them. Because I love them so much that I want them with me in my Father's heaven. So firstly, I want to say right now today, if there's anybody in this place and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that if you were to die today, that you wouldn't know where you're going to go. If you want a guarantee of where you will spend eternity, I want you to raise your hand right now. Just lift it up high. Just say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And there may be some of you that you've just been feeling like you haven't really been walking with the Lord properly. Or there's certain situations that you've been feeling like anxiety, kind of like a depressive. And I'm not going to say depression because you know it's not depression. But you feel like there's been a cloud that's a bit depressive. That's like been trying to torment you and come over your life. I want you to take that step of faith and stand up right now and come to the front because I want to pray with you. As you stand up, you're going to take it as an act of faith that you don't want this anymore. And I want us to all stand to our feet just as we honor those that will come to the front. And just open up your voice in your heavenly language and just cry out to him. I can't get hungry for you. You've got to get hungry for yourself. There's so much more that God has for you. There's so much more. If he could do it for me, he can do it for you. Come, sweetheart. Hallelujah. That's it. You pray. Pray in your heavenly language. Some of you haven't known God as daddy. 
And if you want me to pray for you, I want you to come out right now that you will know God as your Father. That's it, that's it, just come. That's it, open your heart to him. Speak to him in English. Speak to him in your heavenly language. Today is the day of salvation. Restoration. Reconciliation. Wholeness. See, salvation, it's the gift of life. And it's also wholeness. Wholeness of your mind. Wholeness of your heart. That we will ask God to come in and heal you in every area of your lives. If there's anyone else, you need to be out here right now. Come out. Come out. Do it quickly. Do it quickly. Come out right now. There's one more. That's it. That's it. I know there's a few more. That's it. Thank you. Today is the day. Don't don't say a what if. Today is the day for salvation. Try not to disturb the people at the front, please. That's it. Pray for those people at the front. If you're standing in the uh, at the back, I just want you to reach your hands towards these people at the front because they're going to encounter God today. And this is what it's all about. We're a family. We love these people. Thank you, Lord. Firstly, I'm going to get us to say a corporate prayer. We're all going to say this together for those that are giving their lives to Jesus for the first time today. So I just want you to repeat this after me and just say, God, I come to you today. I believe you created me. And I believe that you love me. I haven't lived my life for you. But for myself. I need your help. I need you in my life. I thank you for Jesus. I believe he is your son. Whom you sent to die on the cross. So that through him I can be washed. Forgiven and healed. To have eternal life. Jesus come into my heart. Be my Lord and Saviour. From this day forward, and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, and be the father that I've never had. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.